And now, from the Save on Foods Wines of British Columbia studios, it's BC Food and Wine Radio. Now, here's Anthony Gismondi. Happy New Year, British Columbia. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, we speak with legendary fifth-generation winemaker Miguel Torres. Speaking of family heritage and wine, we'll also head to northern Italy for a discussion with Lisa Anselmi about the great wines of Suave. But next, one of Canada's top Chardonnay producers from Niagara, Thomas Bachelder. This is BC Food & Wine Radio. I'm Anthony Gismondi, and we are set to go. There's more to come. This is BC Food and Wine Radio with Anthony Gismondi. Penticton, a perfect place for mountain adventures this winter. After a day in the snow, stop in for a visit to one of almost 100 area wineries, many that stay open year-round. Enjoy the quieter time of year with an intimate winter wine tasting and a chance to sample some incredible local ice wines. Dine in world-class locally sourced restaurants, too. It's the perfect destination for a relaxing winter getaway. Before you go, check out the website for information on wine tours and winery events. Go to visitpenticton.com. Join BC Food and Wine Radio and Anthony Gismondi at the 44th Vancouver International Wine Festival, April 22nd to 30th at the Vancouver Convention Center. Tickets for the International Festival tastings featuring 152 wineries from 17 countries and highlighting South America are on sale now. Stay, sip, and save. Get a free tasting ticket worth up to $129 when you book a downtown hotel via stayvancouverhotels.com. Details at vanwinefest.ca. Don't wine and drive. Take your wine appreciation to the next level and become a rebel. Welcome to the Rebel Club at Liber Farm and Winery. As a Rebel member, you'll enjoy a regular shipment of exemplary Liber wines for your cellar, along with complimentary tastings and VIP treatment at the winery and more. And with the ease and convenience of online ordering, your wine will be shipped straight to your door. Discover more at LiberFarm.com. Simply great wines. The legend lives on three finger jack roamed the rugged lawless gold country wilderness along the east ridge of lodi in old california searching relentlessly for riches the gold may be gone but this wine grown in the land where jack rode pays tribute to his outlaw nature a bold cabernet sauvignon truly worthy of that legendary name three finger jack outlaw by nature discover the legend at a bc liquor store near you or visit threefingerjack.com from the Save on Foods Wines of British Columbia Studios, it's BC Food and Wine Radio. Now, here's Anthony Gismondi. Happy holidays, British Columbia. On the show today, as we celebrate the new year, we're looking back on some truly passionate wine conversations we had in 2022, including this chat with Thomas Bachelder. Thomas is a Canadian wine legend, humble, knowledgeable, always engaging. Uh, and our chat with Niagara's Thomas Bachelder begins with what he's doing that's so, so different and, and what his overall philosophy on making great wine is. It's very simple. I'm not doing anything new, but what I am doing new is doing it with new places. You have to kind mm -hmm. of believe, you know, like you have to believe that terroir exists. It's a good place to grow grapes. You've got to find the terroirs in your generation. We don't want to wait the thousand years that the monks took in Burgundy to make it happen, even 2,000 years. We want to do it in a few generations, whether you're in 
you know, lower mainland or, or in Vancouver Island, Okanagan, or in Niagara. And basically what I'm trying to do is do the Burgundian grapes, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Gamay Noir. I'd love Aligate, but there's none around here. I'm trying to do them and do single vineyard sites and make the land sing, not make the winemaking yeah. sing, but let people learn about the sub-appellations, the VQA appellations. Yeah, it's one thing to to make the 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 land sing or talk in the wine, but how do you find that terroir, Thomas? How how how, did, how have you gone about that? Is it a is it a sort of a lifelong challenge, or can you find one tomorrow morning, or how, how does it work? It is a lifelong cha- challenge. I often say that, and you know, I have the greatest respect for the gardens of, let's say, Victoria, but everywhere in BC, St. Catharines has great gardens too. But for me, my garden here looks like crap because, you know, I realized the other day that my garden is my hundreds of barrels, all with tiny single vineyard lots, you know, two to 12 barrels, and trying to drill yeah. down to the best barrels and the best terroirs. I think it's, it's just about uh, being, the more you do it, the more you do anything in life with goodwill, the more the world will come to help you. And so somebody will say, hey, listen, I've got five rows of 19... 81 Gamay, and I'll say, did you say 1981, man? And, you know, it's like most of the stuff we work with here in Niagara is planted in 99 or 2000, like the Clos Jardin, where I work also. That's 20 years old. That's not bad. It's the end of adolescence. Mm -hmm. But when you're working with something that's 35, 40 years old, it's super special. So the more we do this, the more people come out of the, the woodwork. But they know I've done the same thing in Oregon and Burgundy. So, you know, we're starting, we're starting to see, and, and again, it's not what Batchelder does, it's what the region does. We want the region to focus on four or five grapes so that we can discover terroirs. If you have 40 grapes, Anthony, you have lovely, what the French call vin de cepage, varietal wines, but we're all beyond that now. We don't want a commodity called Chardonnay. We want Chardonnay from somewhere. Is it from the Golden Mile Bench or is it from the 20 Mile Bench on our side of the you know, country? Right. Our guest is Thomas Bachelter. Uh, he's an Ontario vigneron and a wine grower, fast becoming a Canadian legend, uh, and someone who has a great passion for making wine and growing wine. Thomas, you deal with a lot of different people, uh, so you go to different sites. Sometimes you buy grapes. Sometimes you, you might own the grapes. You've got different clones, different sites. How do you manage to, to make a wine every year with all these different factors? That is such a great thing. Like, I remember being out in B.C. for Canada 150, where you guys had such, at the Vancouver Wine Fair, where, where you guys had such a great offering of B.C. and all Canadian wines. And that was the first time in my life that I saw Vancouver Island Pinot. Let's just take Pinot. And Pinot mm-hmm. from up north of the Okanagan, south of the Okanagan. And I realized there was this whole thing going on. So the clearest answer is, Sometimes a grower does not have the greatest viticulture. Sometimes a grower has really wide spacing and, you know, potentially diluted crop. I call that the John Deere spacing. In the early days, they made the spacing (laughs) of the vineyard as wide as the smallest John Deere, which was nine feet, right? Over two meters. So I guess well over two and a half meters. So I guess my point is when you do enough of this stuff, Anthony, you start to realize, you know what? With all its flaws, with all its vulnerabilities, and all the variables, the 
20 mile bench tastes like this. The, the, the Beansville bench tastes like that. Niagara on the lake, the flatter but warmer part, which some lovely wines, tastes like this. And you start to, as an averaging thing, realize that bench, that's Niagara on the lake. The same way you guys may say Northern Okanagan and Southern Okanagan. It starts mm-hmm. to have a feel as well as a taste. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a it's a fantastic thing that that you can get people interested in that. It's taken it's I mean it's taken your lifetime, uh, probably mine as well, in terms of getting Canadians to really buy into it. But I think everybody's on that page now, and it's moving quickly. So I I, I like that that we're now discovering uh, you know different places, and maybe more importantly, Thomas, accepting different styles because at the start, you know, everybody would say to me, "Oh, well, British Columbia wines are all like California; they're not like Ontario." But that's not true anymore, and and we're we're different, but so are you different. But we're still making Canadian Chardonnay, which is different than Burgundy and Oregon and and you know many of the other great places that make it. We're catching up, I think. That's so well put, and I just I'll underline it just by saying. For sure. When I, the first time I was on the road with BC, whether it was in New York or whether we were in London at this thing I was telling you about, uh, you know, on the Ontario side, they'd say BC makes jam. And on the BC side, they, they'd say that, you know, Ontario makes green thin stuff. And neither are true. And there's great wines made with great finesse on both sides. You just have to accept that there's, it's a big universe out there. And since we've done that, Anthony, I got to tell you, Despite the differences, when we taste in London, you know, the tasters, these great sums and these great wine writers, sometimes think that BC is right next to Ontario. They don't know we're 4,000 clicks apart. That said, I use that as an impetus to say, well, why should I believe we're 4,000 clicks apart? We're brothers and sisters. Let's get on with it and let's have a Canadian wine brand and that really promotes all our regions. You know, yeah, the way with France you. does, for instance. Yeah, uh, you know, just following up on that, why, why is it so essential for you to go to London or to New York to talk about Canadian wines? What, what, when you go there, what, 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 what is in your mind or what's your message going to be to them? Well, I, I'm pulling off what you just said before, is you think finally Canadians are drinking Canadian wine. The great, great part of our national character is I think we're conservative I'm not talking politics, or we're conservative. We don't shout our great things from the rooftops. We right. quietly let people discover it, sort of like New Zealand does. And I think that's a good part, but it's a bad part. We, we espouse every other country before our own. And now that we're finally doing it, it's great. But prior to that, we needed to be in New York as a team. We needed to be in London to get that pat on the back of people saying, what is this stuff? You guys are the next cool wine country. Do you know that when we pour at, at Canada House on Trafalgar Square, all the great writers are there? Why? Because if they go to that, there's 60 Canadian wineries. If they go to that tasting, they don't have to make a trip to Canada that year. That takes three mm-hmm. weeks to cross the country from Nova yeah. Scotia, Bubblies to BC. So yeah. they have to be there if they want to be in the know. And it's, it's, it's happening in our lifetimes, and it's really super exciting. Thomas, BC's only uh, four and a half hours away from you. When are you coming here to make a wine? So I went there after wine school in 1994 and interviewed at a couple of places like Blue Mountain. And, and, uh, and they said, I, no I, way. You named it. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, it was a long time ago, 94. But you know what? I, I found my way. I went back to Burgundy, and then I worked for Ponzi and Lemelson Vineyards in, 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 in Oregon before Oregon. coming to the, yeah, the Closure Dan here in Niagara. And i got to say, 
BC is fascinating me. I, I, I know there's more than the Northern Okanagan for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. I know there's lots more, and I'm yeah. exploring it every time I can get my hand on a bottle. Well, let's talk about buying Bachelder wine in BC. How can we do that uh, before we run out of time now? Okay, so we have a new distributor called Revelry. Yep. Uh, they're great guys. I've known them from before. We're gonna, we're gonna, we have some, we have some endings of our our Burgundy project and our Oregon project that we want to get into BC, but we're we're nine tenths uh, Niagara now and be a hundred percent going forward. So Revel Revelry is one way. They're going to distribute mostly to restaurants and direct to consumer, and uh, and to private private wine shops, I would guess too. Eh? Or... Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, of course, Thomas, we're not like Ontario. We are allowed to buy wines uh, from Ontario and, and ship them back to ourselves. So uh, that's another outlet for consumers. They can check you out at, on your website uh, to order the wines. I think if you have any left. Yeah, we we do. Yeah, we do two releases a year. And April second is all our gamets. We're doing eight gamets, and uh, in the fall on November first, the Toussaint, we are doing uh, eight Chardonnays. And eight Pinots. So it's a lot of single vineyards, man. Nobody can try all of them, but it's kind of like I like to say, you don't have to know all of them. You can buy a mixed pack of them. You don't have to drink them all the same night. But the idea is if you were going to Burgundy tomorrow, Anthony, and you go to the Mountain of Bone, you would go to a producer you like and you'd say, well, I'll have Les Greves and I'll have Claude de Mouche or whatever it is that you yeah. like. You totally. sort of learn what you like. You want to know more about the Beansville bench the Vineland Jordan Bench, which is called 20 Mile Bench, or Niagara Lake. There's lots of opportunities here, just as there are in BC. And I think people over there, they they like the Similkameen, they like the Southern Okanagan, they like up near Penticton, the Lower Mainland, or now Vancouver Island. You know, I mean, there's so many, and, and, and more than that now, I know. So mm-hmm. I think it's a very exciting time to be drinking wine in Canada. And I, and I think we've got to make high, high end, but we've got to have some stuff that the kids, when they're coming in, they can taste great Canadian wine. It can't be 13 bucks. It's got to be over 20 to be great Canadian wine. But, I mean, on a Saturday night, if I was 23-year-old, I'd be buying that because that's what I bought back in the day from France. There's more to come. This is BC Food & Wine Radio with Anthony Gismondi. As someone who is starting or adding to their wine or spirits collection, you recognize your choice of a reputable supplier is paramount. As the only auction in Canada dedicated to fine wines and spirits, Iron Gate Auctions offers buyers a safe, inexpensive way to initiate or enhance their collections. They're experts in the field, and all of their offerings are meticulously sourced from private sellers across Canada. To find out more, visit irongateauctions.com. Penticton, a perfect place for mountain adventures this winter. After a day in the snow, stop in for a visit to one of almost 100 area wineries, many that stay open year-round. Enjoy the quieter time of year with an intimate winter wine tasting and a chance to sample some incredible local ice wines. Dine in world-class locally sourced restaurants, too. It's the perfect destination for a relaxing winter getaway. Before you go, check out the website for information on wine tours and winery events. Go to visitpenticton.com. The Inn at Therapy Vineyards invites you to get away for a luxurious retreat experience. Modern rooms overlooking the vineyards and Lake Okanagan set the tone for a relaxing and refreshing stay on the Naramata Bench. 
Relax on your patio, soak in the hot tub, and enjoy a guided tasting experience in the Therapy Vineyards Wine Shop. Book your room or order Therapy Vineyards award-winning wines and have them delivered to your door at therapyvineyards.com. Because everyone needs a little therapy. Discover the good life right in your own backyard. Destination, the Watermark Beach Resort in beautiful Asuyus. Featuring spectacular views of Asuyus Lake, walking distance to shops, plus dining at the Watermark's very own 15 Park Bistro. And make sure to book your spring and summer travel now to avoid disappointment at the South Okanagan Resort that defines easy living. Visit watermarkbeachresort.com for full details and keep up to date on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The legend lives on. Three Finger Jack roamed the rugged, lawless gold country wilderness along the east ridge of Lodi in Old California, searching relentlessly for riches. The gold may be gone, but this wine, grown in the land where Jack rode, pays tribute to his outlaw nature. A bold Cabernet Sauvignon, truly worthy of that legendary name. Three Finger Jack, outlaw by nature. Discover the legend at a BC liquor store near you or visit threefingerjack.com. From our Save on Foods Wines of British Columbia studios, it's BC Food and Wine Radio. Now, here's Anthony Gismondi. Hello, BC, and all the very best ahead for 2023. We're looking back on some fun conversations we had in 2022, including our chat with Lisa Anselmi. She's a third-generation family member of Anselmi Winery who offers insights on the uh, wonderful wines of Suave. Lisa's father, Roberto Anselmi, is a winemaking legend who helped redefine the image of the northern Italian wines when it needed it the most. Here's our chat with Lisa, beginning with her take on her famous wine from her grandfather. My grandfather uh, founded the winery in 1948, so as you told, I'm the third generation, but uh, with a completely different philosophy if you compare with the philosophy of today. My grandfather had not vineyards, was yep. uh, just a big negociant, uh, was another time, uh, another uh, uh, way to, to produce wine. Uh, the real uh, the real focus in the quality uh, arrived with uh, my father, that is also my boss, <laughs> <laughs> uh, more or less uh, at the end of uh, 60 years, when uh, my grandfather decided to come back from uh, his study and work in the fel- family business, understood that was the moment to change completely the philosophy and focus uh, everything uh, in the quality, of course. Mm -hmm. So the first step was to buy vineyards in the top hill of uh, of the area and uh, start to produce wine made with our property grapes. Yeah, it was uh, well. It was a big decision for him because at the time, uh, 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 wine was really taking off around the world. But Suave was kind of a, a a wine that was thought of to be a very simple wine. There was very few high end producers, and and uh, he wasn't pretty happy with the Suave name, as it turns out. But really, my father worked to with other uh, good producer in the area that are friends. Uh, work a lot of years to try to uh, increase and improve the the suave name, no? the suave appellation, and give to the uh, the juicy appellation uh, 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 a real value. 
Uh, yeah. Our wines are called Suave for uh, more than 20 years. And at the end, uh, in 2000 years, more or less, uh, when uh, was introduced not just the DOC appellation, but also the DOCG, uh, my father decided to divorce <laughs> with the appellation that uh, unfortunately is completely controlled by the cooperative also today. And uh, 80% of the production is medium, uh, medium quality. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of good producer, but very small percent if you compare with the total production of Soave. Yeah. Our guest is Lisa Anselmi of the Anselmi Winery, and we're talking about the classic northern Italian white Suave. Uh, so let's talk about that. He decided to take more or less take Suave off the label, but he's still making the wine. So what is a Suave wine? How would you describe? But what are the grapes? Uh, what What is the soil like? What What is the wine like? Oh, but the Suave appellation, uh, if uh, the viticulture is good, could be a very good appellation and uh, give uh, very good wine. Uh, the main variety use uh, a lot of people don't know the the um, the main variety for suave wine. Yeah. I think that suave is the name of the grape, but really the 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 main grape in the production of suave is garganega. Very difficult word. <laughs> a lot uh, of not so hard. Completely <laughs> no, but I, I can I can tell you that more. Uh, in in United States and Canada, a lot of people call Garganega, Garganega, <laughs> but the, the, the correct accent is Garganega. Garganega, uh, yeah. Yes, is a grape that is in the area since, uh, I don't know, but a lot of time, and is the, the main variety for the production of Suave. Then you can find... Uh, uh, Trebbiano di Suave, you can find a uh, small quantity of Chardonnay, uh, but the, the real expression of the territory is made with the Garganica. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the area, um, well, I think we have a long, the, the Suave appellation is around uh, five, six thousand uh, hectares in the area, and 80% right. is, is Garganica. Garganica, right. And the soil yeah. is—it's a volcanic soil, is it not? That it grows in. Uh, the, the, the soil depends where you are because uh, you can find uh, volcanic soil, you can find uh, limestone soil, or in some area you can have a blend of the two: volcanic and and, uh, and limestone. Mm-hmm. So uh, also the, the 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 also the expression of the, of the garganica change when you move from uh, limestone soil or uh, volcanic. Hmm. Uh, in some ways, I think your father's more arc- more iconic than the region. He also, uh, I believe, was growing. You're growing organically but not telling anybody about it or he doesn't want to get certified? Is that is that the way it is at the moment? Yes, but uh, iconic for uh, all the other people, not for me because he's my father. <laughs> so it is, yeah. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, we uh, in our production, we of course also if we we have cancelled the DOC appellation, we have maintained the Garganega grape yeah. as seventy uh, percent. Uh, we have introduced uh, other variety like uh, Chardonnay like uh, Sauvignon Blanc, 
that at the end is the blend Garganega Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc is the blend of our main production, uh, mm-hmm. the white wines. The name is uh, San Vincenzo. That is practically our core business. The total production of the winery is around 800,000 bottles and 500,000 are San Vincenzo. Yeah. And San Vincenzo, widely available in the Vancouver market. That's why we're talking to you today. Uh, this is a delicious wine. How would you describe the wine to our listeners who, who haven't had a chance to taste it? Because it's extremely fresh uh, to me and fun. it's a fun wine. How, how would you describe it? Uh, See, you have to think that for us, uh, Canadian market is one of the most important markets in the world. Uh, British Columbia is uh, in uh, uh, Ontario, in uh, Quebec. Uh, We we are very, very, uh, this uh, this market is very familiar for us. And San Vincenzo is, I can tell you that... uh, is practically the wine that is the most, the best expression of our idea of uh, white wines. Yeah. So Garganiga, of course, but with this part of Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc that give to the wine freshness, uh, very good aroma, uh, very balanced, and is uh, uh, fruity uh, flower is is very drinkable eh? because uh, yeah. in, in Italy eighty percent of the consumer uh, are women, <laughs> so it's wine that uh, like a lot to the women, and um, uh, I think that you have already drink the San Vincenzo, or I hope so. <laughs> oh yeah, I've had it many times. I love this wine, and you know here on the west coast we have such a wide variety of seafood available to us: shellfish, many different types, and fresh fish so for that it's great but i'm th- i'm wondering are there some classic matches in uh, in northern italy for suave what would you suggest would be a sort of a classic match to, to, for, uh, with the food, for food. Yeah? yeah gastronomy okay. yeah i i, dr- I drink san vincenzo also with the pizza <laughs> now san vincenzo <laughs> is very uh, you can have a lot of different things of course if you if you have Italian food, uh, is probably the best, uh, the best, the best match. Uh, yeah. But you can have with uh, a lot of different type of fish. I really love also with um, Thai food or Japanese ah. food because it's very yes, it's an experience. It's nice uh, sushi, sashimi, but also spicy food. Now, if you go in uh, in the east part of uh, of the world. Uh, and then uh, with all type of uh, pasta, with tomato, with uh, uh, Genovese pesto, is is really is wine that can can be good for the aperitif with your friends uh, in summertime. Uh, is drinkable, so you can have uh, one bottle and and maintain the same wine for all the lunch or the dinner. Yeah. Is, it's very, very, very different expression. But the the thing that I love a lot of San Vincenzo is his freshness. Mm-hmm. It's made with garganega, but the aroma is uh, is, is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's a great old name. Uh, I hope that someday you and uh, maybe your neighbors like Pirapan, some of the top producers, can uh, reclaim Suave and, and uh, restore that name across the, across the entire region. Because I think that as time goes on, we recognize that these 
old regions are important and they need to be respected. And with all of the new technology and, and knowledge in making wine, that uh, there's no reason why Suave wouldn't be seen as a top quality white wine across the entire region. Yes. The, 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 the technology and the innovation uh, in technology, but the real important thing is the viticulture. Where, when you have a good viticulture, you can obtain really good wine in our area. Also because it's very, very nice territory uh, and uh, the, 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 the viticulture, uh, you, 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 um, Piero Pan, for example, no, is one of our best friends. Uh, we work uh, practically from the beginning to increase the value of this uh, appellation. Yeah. We are completely different because Piero Pan is uh, a little bit more uh, traditional and yep. follow the, the history. We are a little bit more uh, uh, innovative in the style of the wine, but we can go together and really give the maximum expression of, of the territory. There's lots more still ahead. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. A ring-a-ding-ding. Time for happy hour at the Modest Butcher at Mount Boucherie Estate Winery. Featuring wine by the glass starting at just five bucks, along with the most fabulous gourmet bites the West Side has ever seen. Daily from 2 to 5 p.m. Plus, join us for Tommy and Tannen Tuesdays. Order a giant tomahawk ribeye and get your first bottle of Mount Boucherie Reserve Merlot for just five bucks. The Modest Butcher at Mount Boucherie Estate Winery. See you today. Today's real estate landscape is fast-paced and complex. Now more than ever, whether you're a buyer or a seller, it's vital to work with a professional real estate company like Remax. Lean into their experience, local market knowledge, and connections. They are your market experts and are excited to help you make your dreams a reality. The right agents for today's market are at Remax, with offices in Summerland, Penticton, and Asuyus. Call or visit them at YourSouthOkanaganHome.com. Clos du Soleil makes wines that speak of the Similkameen soil where their grapes are grown and the souls of the people who call this valley their home. Winemaker Michael Clark and his team specialize in wines that blend Bordeaux grape varieties with their unique mountainous terroir. The result is wines that are elegant, ageable, and authentic. Clos du Soleil, wild places, soulful wines. Available at closdusoleil.ca and fine restaurants and wine stores near you. The legend lives on. Three Finger Jack roamed the rugged, lawless gold country wilderness along the east ridge of Lodi in Old California, searching relentlessly for riches. The gold may be gone, but this wine, grown in the land where Jack rode, pays tribute to his outlaw nature. A bold Cabernet Sauvignon, truly worthy of that legendary name. Three Finger Jack, outlaw by nature. Discover the legend at a BC liquor store near you or visit threefingerjack.com. From our Save on Foods Wines of British Columbia studios, it's BC Food and Wine Radio. Now, here's Anthony Gismondi. Happy holidays, British Columbia. I hope you're enjoying some time off. We're celebrating the new year uh, featuring conversations we had in 2022, including this wonderful two-part chat we had with Miguel Torres. Today, his focus is on a commitment to organic grape growing and fair trade certification for several wineries uh, that they operate around the world. Here's Miguel Torres on how they do and what they do at Torres Wines. 
we just do uh, what we like, that is to make wine. We are very close to the vineyards here, and we have done this uh, since 1870, since we uh, founded the winery. I'm the fifth generation now, and uh, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm happy that we have a, a great team that I think that they live from the same values that we have. Now. So we, we always want to bring the best thing from from the land, from the vineyards to, to the glasses. Huh? Right. Well, I'm, I'm uh, one of the things I love about even talking about brands, because sometimes when people think of brands, they think of ordinary wines or low-cost low wines. But when we talk about brands like Torres, we talk about great wines uh, in all different price ranges. So that's that's something that consumers can latch on to. And I think... I think what we've noticed during the pandemic was that that some of these brands have really resurfaced because uh, consumers have been staying at home and drinking those wines and enjoying them or maybe perhaps rediscovering them. So that's kind of a nice injection, uh, uh, I I think, for wineries that have been working hard. Yeah, well, you know, I think that here in Spain, um, especially my grandfather was one of the first ones really uh, trying to to make the wines more uh, known around the world, and he uh, he traveled extensively when most of the uh, of the winemakers or the winery owners were staying in the wineries uh, without traveling, and this is what 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 made uh, some of our wines became uh, brands around the world, and you know it's a it's a great thing. We really uh, love these wines, and we really uh, are very proud of them. Yeah. Yeah, you should be. Our guest is Miguel Torres. He's a fifth generation and general manager at Familia Torres in Spain. I want to get to the subject that you're most passionate about and which I, I believe takes most of your time today, and that's climate change. Uh, but I think the reason why I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you is that you don't talk so much about it as you actually do stuff about it. So let's start with Torres and Earth and, and why and how you got to involved in climate change. Let's let's start there and we can move on from that. Uh, what what why are you doing it now? Why why is it so important now? Well, you know, um, honestly, the the fact that that we are a family and we have been making wine for such a long time, I really think that gave us perspective uh, already on two thousand and eight to understand what was going on. No, because we we look at the harvest and 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 uh, and the grapes were getting riper, uh, but uh, earlier than uh, the previous years. No. And we would see all these climatic events, like like uh, big, uh, you know, like large rains, or then it was very dry for many many months. So there was yeah. there was something strange that maybe for the for me or my sisters we we could not see so easily because we are younger. But for uh, my father, you know, he had this perspective of, of so many years. And then we realized that the climate was changing, and this, of course, affects to the vineyards because uh, vines, uh, the, the, the vines are very sensitive to changes in temperature. And um, as, as we want that uh, the next generations in our family can continue making wine, we decided that that we had to do something at least on how, on ourselves to start changing things. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, you zeroed in. I know that you, you, you did a lot of experimentation. In fact, I was there uh, when you were sort of at the end of the experimentation and, and saying, okay, well, we've tried all these things. Now we have to get going and actually implement them. But let's maybe start with CO2 emissions and what, what your targets are and how reachable they are and, and, and how sensible is it to, to even focus on uh, CO2 emissions. Some people you know, don't accept that. But what, what, what's your plan at Torres? Hmm. 
Well, you know, the, the first thing was that, of course, you know, to fight against climate change, we had to fight against the carbon emissions, no? So we started a, a big program that we call it uh, Torres and Earth, where we uh, compromise ourselves to reduce our carbon emissions, uh, starting from 2008 uh, to become, uh, to have carbon neutrality on 2040, no? Um, yep. uh, on 2020, we already had an intermediate goal that was to reach uh, 30% carbon reduction in all our process of, of uh, winemaking on, in all the company. And uh, we actually uh, achieved that goal. We actually reduced more than a 30%. And now we are aiming for the next uh, years to, to reach this uh, close to 60 or 70% and then get the carbon neutrality um, already before the uh, targets of the, of uh, of Paris. Yeah. Uh, how hard has it been? What what can you tell us? Maybe just some of the practical things that you've done to reduce your emissions that uh, other wineries could pursue or should think about. Yeah, sure. Look, um, one one of the key things, of course, is to try to work as much as you can with your own energy, right? So there are different sources of natural energy that you can use. I would recommend to all the wineries to start with uh, biomass boilers. Uh, this is uh, this is important because you you know that in a winery you really need to heat a lot of water to clean uh, from oak barrels to stainless steel tanks. Okay, so yep. if you can use uh, uh, um, a, a kind of uh, fuel that is not a fossil fuel. But it's uh, you know wood that you can actually take after the pruning from the vineyards or from forest near nearby. Your carbon emissions really go very very down, and it's very efficient. No, but yeah. aside of that, of course, you know we have uh, heavily invested in uh, photovoltaic panels, in solar panels, uh, in geothermal energy, um, and also this this year we are very happy because. We achieved to have success in, in, a, in, a, in a, an experiment that we're looking for a long time, and this is to capture the carbon that is released during the fermentation of wines. No, oh, when you see that the grape juice is fermenting, all these bubbles that come out, of course, the, these are CO2. So sure. we are capturing that CO2, and we are using for other purposes in the winery. So this is also very good. This, this, I would say, that would be uh, some of the things. Of course, you can also reduce the weight of the package. There's no sense to today to bottle the wines with such a heavy glasses that we all used to use uh, 10 or uh, 20 years ago, right? Yeah, sure. there are many things. Uh, also, you can I- isolate better the tanks to be more efficient in terms of temperature, uh, changing cars from uh, uh, regular engines to electric cars as, as uh, we have. Uh, doing, uh, and this would be m- mainly the things that we can do uh, in the area of the winery. But we yeah. are what we are working now, uh, and it's a project I, I love very much, is on what can we do in the vineyard, no? And and here, uh, well, this is something that is starting also here in Spain called regenerative viticulture. Right? It's another way to understand the vineyards. Yeah. Well, we hear a lot about regenerative <coughs> viticulture. What? Wh- why would you pursue that now, and how will that help you achieve your goals? Well, you know, the the uh, the main reason why we arrived to this point is that there was a certain point where where we were planting a lot of trees, also uh, in order to to uh, compensate uh, part of our 
emissions, but then we, we really give a, a big, uh, big thought about why a vineyard cannot actually work as a forest, no? A forest mm. can actually capture the carbon in the, in, the, in the trees, in the soil, but the vineyard, actually a conventional vineyard, it releases carbon to the atmosphere, uh, even if it's many times in organic viticulture, no? So the, the main reason is, uh, are the practices that we have been doing for many, many years. For example, the use of tractors. No? When we plow the soil, what we are doing is opening the soil, and then all the organic matter oxidizes, and this is carbon that is released into the atmosphere. No? Right. Uh, so one of the key things on regenerative agriculture is uh, not to plow the soils, okay? stop uh, moving the soil on the top, so we are imitating nature a lot on that, that sense, no? And we always want to have a cover uh, crop. So that means we want grass uh, on the, uh, always uh, during the whole year in the soil of the vineyards, no? This grass yeah. helps us to capture the carbon from the atmosphere and to store it in the soil, no? So on a, on, on a certain way, uh, we are doing that, uh, that a vineyard can, can imitate a forest, right? And can capture the carbon into the soil, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's fascinating stuff, Miguel, and I know that uh, I know that you've piqued the interest of other people around the world too. Uh, so I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about the IWCA or the International Wineries for Climate Action. Uh, so let's start with this organization. Is this to share this information, or how, how has it come about? And 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 I know you started it with the Jackson Family Winery in California. Tell us a little bit about it. Exactly, exactly. We started with the Jackson family, and you know, as as we we were two families, we 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 both uh, share these uh, worries, you know, about what was gonna happen with the vineyards, the influence of the climate. So we uh, we met together and we decided to start this association. And now we have uh, more than twenty-seven wineries that have uh, joined all around the world. And the, and the purpose of this association is to really uh, uh, decarbonize the wine industry, okay? So yeah. to join this association, it is, it is not easy because it is, uh, you really have already to, to have achieved at least a 20% reduction on your carbon footprint, okay? And right. then you have to reach inter- intermediate goals during the next uh, years until you become, uh, you have carbon neutrality. Neutral. And yep. this, of course, uh, this invest. Uh, this, this means investing. Uh, this means uh, changing the way that uh, that you are working in the winery, in the vineyards. Uh, so it's it's challenging, but to us, is is today the the best platform, the best uh, certification that one can have to make sure that the wine that they are drinking are actually doing something, you no, know, to to mm-hmm. fight against the climate change. There's more to come. This is BC Food and Wine Radio with Anthony Gismondi. Discover the best wines for wintertime at Save on Foods. Cozy sweaters, movie marathons, hearty home-cooked meals. Find wines that pair perfectly with the season. At Save on Foods, there are more than 1,300 BC VQA wines all in one place. Plus, when you pick up any four bottles, get 10% off your purchase. There's something special about winter and wine. Get set for the season at Wines of British Columbia at Save on Foods. With 22 locations, find yours at saveonfoods.com. 
Penticton, the hub of the South Okanagan, a place to fall in love with winter all over again. Enjoy mountain adventures and reward yourself after a day on the hill with a visit to one of over 80 area wineries, cideries, distilleries, or our eight craft breweries. Experience fantastic locally sourced restaurants too. It's the perfect destination for a relaxing winter getaway. Before you go, make sure to check out the website for information on wine tours, tasting room hours, and highway conditions. Go to visitpenticton.com. Gentle hills and secluded valleys, an ideal climate, and modern vineyard management. These are the foundations used to create Einzweiss Zero Sparkling Riesling from Lights. Made with the same grapes and care that go into their award-winning regular Rieslings, Einzweiss Zero captures the important natural aromas and remarkable properties of the terroir while still being refreshing, delicious, and absolutely alcohol-free. Einzweiss Zero Sparkling Riesling from Lights. For details, visit softcrush.ca. Hello, I'm Anthony Gismondi, and after four decades in the wine business, I know that the wine you like is always the best one for you. Anyone who tells you differently is simply wrong. The trick is how to get there. My advice? Try as many different wines as possible to discover your favorites. We evaluate about 3,000 wines a year at GismondiOnWine.com to help you sort through the clutter in the market, and we make it easy to search through our results. After all, life is way too short to drink bad wine. So why not give us a go at GismondiOnWine.com? The most exciting club in the Okanagan is Summer Hills Organic Wine Club. When you become a member, you'll receive 24 bottles per year of sommelier-curated organic wines. Enjoy preferred pricing and free delivery. Plus, members earn double gratitude points, which gives 20% of each order back in your pocket. Get insider information on Summer Hill's new releases and special events. Enjoy the flavors of Summer Hill. Join the Organic Wine Club at summerhill.bc.ca. From the Save on Foods Wines of British Columbia Studios, it's BC Food and Wine Radio. Now, here's Anthony Gismondi. Hello, British Columbia, and a happy holiday shout-out to all the Bounce Radio stations across the province. Uh, we're all about engaging conversations today that uh, we had in 2022, and we continue our conversation with Miguel Torres, winemaker, innovator, uh, and a guy with deep family roots. Uh, his winemaking blood goes back through his father and his grandfather. And uh, we're going to talk about his wine that his grandfather pioneered. You'll all know this wine, Sangre de Toro, a very famous label in B.C., with the plastic bowl that's going to be changed to be sustainable. Yeah, yeah. My my grandfather was the cre- creator of this wine. Uh, Sangre de Toro means... Uh, in the blood of the bull, no, and and that means like like in Spain, this is the passion and that's the energy that 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 is part of the Spanish spirit, no. Yeah. And uh, and he made this this wine, uh, you know, at the beginning with uh, Garnacha and Cariñena. Uh, you know, these are very two uh, famous varieties here in Catalonia. Uh, Garnacha always brings you this uh, this great fruit and this open nose, and Cariñena is always the backbone, no. It always gives you a great structure to to the wine. And actually, you know, the the history of this one is quite uh, interesting because you know that our our winery it was bombed during the Spanish Civil War. Right. Uh, some some of the bombs that had to go co- close to the train station end up in our winery. So <laughs> yeah, everything was destroyed. And my and my grandfather struggled for the next years really to to find a way that the business will continue. No. And then he uh, invented the Sangre de Toro wine. You know. Uh, People love it, and 
And some of the first markets that he went to, uh, one of them was Canada. And I still have beautiful pictures, all very old pictures of, of him going around Canada, around the cities, and showing the Sangre de Toro as a, as a most authentic wine from Spain. No? And uh, people like it a lot. And I have to say that Canada helped us to, to, to come back and to keep making wine on those times, absolutely. And still wow. today. <laughs> Do you think your grandfather would recognize this wine today as the wine that uh, he made? Uh, I think the first one was out in 53, I think, the, the first vintage. or the. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that he was recognized because the uh, varieties, the main varieties are still still there. Yeah. I have to say that, that probably to today because, you know, there's, there's more. Uh, we, we know... You know, we have maybe more finesse because we have more experience on making wine. Maybe sure. the wine is uh, probably even better than on those times, no? Yeah. Uh, but but still, the uh, soul of this wine is, is pretty much the same. And we work with families that are vine, vine growers. And uh, these families were on those times with the same vineyards. And now we buy wow. grapes uh, to the sons. So it's, it's really like a, uh, well, a, a great work together. Huh? Yeah. Uh, Miguel, we've been talking about climate change uh, in the first segment. Uh, I want to talk about varieties now because I think uh, you also thought that you maybe had to go higher, get cooler, or maybe look at at uh, older varieties. What can you tell us about ancestral varieties in your pursuit of them uh, uh, that maybe was triggered by climate change? Mm. Well, um, we we started actually to to find uh, ancestral Catalan varieties uh, around 30 years ago. But I have to say that when when we started, it was more kind of a philanthropic uh, project. We just wanted to have a collection, and, and, and we knew that in the past, in Catalonia, there used to be a lot of different grape varieties, many, many more than the ones that we uh, know today, no? So yeah. to, to find them, we started putting uh, ads in the local newspapers, and we were telling to the to the vine growers or farmers that if they would find any vine that they didn't know, maybe, you know, close to their vineyards or in the forest or, you know, close to a creek, they could call us and then we would check the DNA of, of these vines. And uh, it has been an amazing project, Anthony, because, you know, uh, we've received hundreds of calls. And after <laughs> all this time, we have recovered more than 65 ancient Catalan varieties that are wow. very unique, you know. Uh, you know, Catalonia, of course, uh, uh, from a historic point of place, was a meeting place for, uh, you know, the, uh, the Romans, the Greeks, uh, the, you know, all, all the civilizations that they have gone through the Mediterranean, right? So uh, there was, here was a time and the place where really uh, the vines, uh, they really developed a lot. There were a lot of mutations, new, new, new vines came, cross-pollinization, so it was fantastic. So um, when, when we realized about the climate change, we look back at this collection that we created and we realized that some of these vines uh, were producing grapes that they were getting ripe very late and they still had a fantastic acidity. And this is what we need to, to, to make better wines even with warmer climate, right? We, mm -hmm. we need better acidity and we need, we need very late ripening. So uh, we took them out from the collection and we are actually planting them. This is, these are the main varieties that we are planting today in the in the in the Penedes, but also in Conca de Barbera, uh, in other appellations around. And I can tell you, uh, some some of them are fantastic. You know, uh, in the Mediterranean climate, 
we can have even a better acidity than uh, wine in the Atlantic coast. No? It's something yeah. that is almost unbelievable, but, uh, yeah, but it comes from the past. And sometimes you have to look at the future also uh, looking at the past. No? Yeah, for sure. Uh, interesting because I talked to some Italians who were who were working on this up in uh, northern Italy, the Legator family, and I, I remember that Elowas Legator said to me, he said, well, okay, he said, I have recovered these vines and they work, he said, but it's going to be my kids that are going to have to sell it because it's a different story uh, and a different variety. So it was interesting. He he was happy with the wines, but, you know, everybody wants Pinot Gris up there, and now he's he's trying to sell an ancestral variety. So will it will it be easy to sell these grapes? Uh, are you finding that there's a lot of interest in them? Well, I can tell you that there's a lot of interest. Actually, you know, we... Uh, even that we are planting vineyards, you know, uh, the demand is very, very high because uh, we, we see that people love these wines, and uh, and well, we are we are sharing these uh, vines also with other vine growers so that they they can plant because we we always feel uses these are not only our vineyards; these are the vineyards of our great great grand grandparents, no? And yeah. if they can help to make better wines in the future, uh, well, let's let's all go for yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Our guest is Miguel Torres. He's a fifth-generation uh, uh, family member and, of course, the GM of Familia Torres. Uh, uh, it's one thing to uh, to evolve and change what you're doing. It's another to stay in business. Uh, you've done a lot of new things in the last 20 years, especially with wines. I think many people, many Canadians maybe met you when you were in the Penedes region making uh, just a handful of wines Tell us a little bit about your expansion now and some of these new wines. I mean, I'm looking at a wine here called uh, uh, Perpetual, uh, Cota Perpetual from Priorat. What, 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 what are, where are you going to make wine today at uh, at Torres? Well, we we are in uh, different appellations in Spain, no, but uh, the, the one that you're talking about is from the Priorat, which is also in Catalonia. Is actually only. Uh, an hour far away from from where I live, so it's very close. And this is, uh, I can say, this is a magical region. You know, this is a, a place where when you go there, you get su- surprised how we can grow vineyards there because it's all, you know, uh, very uh, steep uh, slopes with a lot of slate soil. Uh, yeah. Vines grow, you know, like very very slowly there. It's very hard for them. But the uh, grapes that they produce are fantastic, especially the Garnachas and Cariñenas. And, and Perpetual is actually a wine made uh, around 95% with Cariñena. Uh, that is uh, mm. always with uh, very old vines. Here we all, only took vineyards that were planted before uh, 1945. Uh, so wow. uh, very old vines. Yeah, very old. Speaking of old, uh, I've been enjoying that the latest vintage of Masla Plana now is available in British Columbia. The 2015 is, it's just a sensational wine. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon, which many people wouldn't even associate uh, right off the top with Spain. Uh, tell us a little bit about this famous label and, and this great vintage. Well, uh, Masla Plana, you know, Mas means a farmhouse and Plana like the flat place. And this is a vineyard where most of us we live in different farm, farm houses. My my parents, uh, me, my sister. So it's it's a very special place for us, like the heart of the family. And and this wine was uh, first made in 1970. And uh, my father wanted to experiment with Cabernet Sauvignon here in Spain. On those times, it was something almost uh, 
forbidden, you know, because we are always very rooted with our autochthonous varieties. We are we are still, but my father wanted to 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 do a different wine and to maybe you know see if if they were as good as as a, as a cabernet from other places around the world. No, yeah. you have to picture that this is the time when the cabernet was going outside of of France and he was showing some some great wines. And uh, and well, the the first vintage was 1970. It was an experimental wine. And it became famous because uh, it was shown in the Wine Olympics in Paris in the year 1979, and uh, it was a, it was a great scandal because a Cabernet Sauvignon from Spain got the first position in a blind tasting with the top sommeliers uh, from France, wow. from Paris, you know. Yeah. And and since that day, it's uh, it's a very special one for for us because it, it shows us that we have a great. Uh, terroir and we really work hard you know uh, we can produce uh, well we 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 would like always to produce some of the best wines possible that was miguel torres always a pleasure to speak with that's it for today's show folks have a great week ahead i'm anthony gismondi that's it for today's show this is bc food and wine radio with anthony gismondi 